Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. What's up, Abundant Life? If you have a copy of God's Word, why don't you find the book of Daniel, chapter 9. Uh, Pastor Phil, he's down at a friend's church in Gainesville, Florida. He's preaching this morning, so we're praying that God would use him in a mighty way. I thought I'd just wear a citrus shirt while he's in Florida so we can kind of be on the same page a little bit. Anyway, so he, he's down there, and uh, if you're just now joining us, uh, we are walking line by line through the book of Daniel. And if you've been with us for a little while, you know that we did Daniel chapter 7 last week, and we're doing Daniel chapter 9 this week. And you're probably wondering, what happened to Daniel chapter 8? Well, Pastor Phil, before he left to go down to Florida, um, he dropped a teaching on Daniel chapter 8. You can find it right here. So we've been doing these extra edition videos because there's a lot to cover in the book of Daniel. And I'm just so grateful for a church that's committed to God's Word, to walk line by line through God's Word, and to come in here faithfully week in and week out to proclaim the Word of God fearlessly, but then also for the man of the, uh, the God that's, that's been put at our church, Pastor Phil, to be able to teach things that are going to help us go a little bit deeper so that we all can have a love of God's Word together. Amen? And so just so grateful for that. Well, um, as you are finding your way to Daniel chapter 9, I don't know if you know this or not, but um, I, I took a, a new role at Abundant Life where I'm going to be helping lead our Crossroads campus. I'm so fired up. Yeah, so excited. And, um, and so um, like it, it, it all became official for me January 1 of this year, and, and your boy is fired up. And so January 1, 2022, I'm like, let's go, man. God's moving us into the city, and uh, he's working in our church, and he's helping us get there. The, uh, you know, the, 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 the need is great. You know, the, the time is now, and the, the solution is us, you know, and I've just been fired up. And then I'm like, all right, when can we get started? When can we start having church down there? And they're like, well, there's a big problem. We, we need a permit. I'm like, well, you know, what do you mean a permit? They're like, well, you gotta have a permit to start renovations. I'm like, give me a hammer, give me a screwdriver, and well, let's go, you know. I'll build it myself. That's kind of, you know, kind of impatient. Anybody impatient here? Yeah. Anyway, so that was kind of my mentality, and I'm like, all right, well, we'll get the permit. Go get the permit. How hard could a permit be, you know? And uh, a little harder than I thought. And um, <laughs> days of waiting for the permit turned into weeks, weeks turned into months, and and we're at the end of January, and I'm like, we don't have a permit. And I'm like, we got to launch a campus. You know, we got to go, we got to go, we got to go. And then February, no permit. And then March, I'm like, let's put a plan together where we don't need a permit, and let's just get it going. <laughs> and um, I was told no. And so, but I decided, I said, hey, what if we did something that wasn't contingent upon the building per se, and what if we went ahead and just said, hey, those of you that are interested in launching this Crossroads campus, let's get together and let's roll out a strategy of some things that we can do to start living on mission in the city while we're waiting on the permit and this building to get built because the, the church is not a building, it's a body, right? It's us. And so we got together at the end of March, here we are right here, and uh, you see some people showed up, and thank you for all those that came. And we talked about a lot of things. And when I was getting ready to plan this meeting, I was like, well, Pastor Phil, would you come and would you inspire us as to why we're going into the city? Remind us of who we are as a church. And so he comes and he inspires everybody. It was awesome. And then as we were planning, I'm like, well, they need inspiration. Everyone that's coming, they need inspiration and information. They need to know what is the plan. And, uh, and, I was, and somebody said, well, should we pray at that meeting? I'm like, we don't have time to pray at the meeting. We need information and inspiration. You know, we'll throw up like a, you know, like a, a beforehand prayer type thing, but then it's strategy. That's what we need. And, uh, and it was a small miracle that night because Pastor Phil and I both ran out of things to say with time left on the clock. 
and um, he spoke, and then I spoke, and, and we had planned 60 minutes, but we were done talking at 40 minutes, and I thought to myself, what should we do now? And then the Holy Spirit was like, you should do what you should have done all along. You should pray, you know? And so I got everybody together and just made a quick audible and uh, said, hey, why don't we get together with everybody and why don't we pray? So here's a picture of us praying in groups. And we prayed a lot about a lot of things that, that evening, but one of the main things that we prayed about was, uh, was God, would you help this permit come to pass? Would you help it get signed? Whatever needs to happen. And, and we also prayed, God, would you, would you do great things in the lives of people? Would you stir up our hearts? We prayed about a lot of things, the permits being one of them. Well, the next day on Monday, Dave Williams, he's a guy on our team, and he's really the, the project manager of what's going on down there. He comes to me and says, hey, do you have five minutes? And I've learned with Dave, he's a man of few words, but he works really, really hard. And he, anytime he says, hey, do you have five minutes, it's usually good news. I'm like, yeah, I got five minutes. What's up? And he said, it looks like we got our permit signed today. Yeah, that's what I was doing. And I got convicted because I was like, why haven't we prayed about this sooner? You know? We weren't even going to pray at the meeting. That's my leadership. And I'm like, golly, you know. And I was so, I was so convicted because I, I remembered that this is a tendency of mine that prayer is a last resort instead of a first response. And, and oftentimes we'll, we'll treat prayer as this thing that we'll just kind of throw on the end of something. But really it's, it's, the, it's, it's us asking God, God, would you do what only you can do? And we're going to be here to do what we can do, but really, we, I need a permit signed. I, I, we can't get this done. And, and God showed up the very next day, and we're underway. Now, if you're anything like me, you come into this place, and uh, when it comes to prayer, you're like, yeah, yeah, we should pray. If you're going to have a relationship with, with anybody, you've got to talk to them. And if you're going to have a relationship with God, you've got to talk to God in prayer. But if you're anything like me, you're like, you know you should pray, but oftentimes you're like, what do I say? I've already prayed everything I prayed that I know to pray, and that was like three minutes ago, you know, and what do I say? And, and so oftentimes prayer is this thing we know we ought to do. Oftentimes we don't know exactly what to say or what to do, and so prayer will become something that's a little bit neglected in our spiritual practice. And this morning I want to give you four things that you can begin to do and begin to pray so that you can experience life-changing prayers, because I don't know about you, but I don't want to waste my time praying some average prayer life. I don't want to just kind of go through the motions and just kind of do some spiritual things from time to time. If we have the opportunity to pray life-changing prayers, I want to pray life-changing prayers. I mean, you can beckon the God of the universe, and you can ask God to align your heart with his. And I want to pray in such a way that lives are changed. I want to pray in such a way that communities are restored. I want to pray in such a way that the kingdom of God is brought down to earth. I want to pray life-changing prayers, amen? If you're taking notes, I've titled this message, How to Pray Life-Changing Prayers. How to Pray Life-Changing Prayers. And again, I'm going to give you four things from God's word that you've got to know God's word, you've got to know his character, you've got to confess your sin, and you've got to plead with God. If you're new to Daniel, Daniel is one of the few men in the Bible that faithfully follow God all throughout his life. He's kind of in his twilight years or his formerly young years, and he's expecting God to do some great things. And, and, and side note, if you want to learn how to pray, get around somebody that's followed God for decades. Get around somebody that's older, and you'll learn how to pray if you'll spend time with them. They'll teach you how to pray. Uh, there was a lady that reached out to me about the Crossroads campus, and she's an older lady in our church, and and she messaged me on Facebook Messenger. She said, would you please keep me in the loop on how I can pray for the campus? She said, I'm old and I'm weak, but I can pray. 
And I, would, I, I hope that there are many more just like her that would say, hey, you know, I'm not dead. God's not done. I'm going to pray, and I'm going I'm to beckon the, the, the God of the universe to work in these situations. And we want to be a praying church, and we need people to pray for what God's doing in this church. And so Daniel, he's anticipating God doing something huge that he's been looking forward to for his entire life. He's been studying the word, he's been looking at the news, and he's like, okay, we have an intersection of something tremendous that's about to take place. Daniel needed a permit from the city to release God's people to go back to Jerusalem. But the permit wasn't being signed. And he knew that God had promised this to take place, and he's trying to figure out how it's all gonna take, play out, and so it drives him to his knees. And here's what he says in Daniel chapter nine, starting in verse one. He says, in the first year of Darius, the son of Azarus, he says, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. Now, I love that we're reading a book of history. If you're new to the Bible and you think that it's just like a, a bunch of inspirational things, there's inspiration in it. If you're new to the Bible and you think this is a bunch of stories, there, there are some stories in it. But, but by and large, the Bible's a book of history. You can go back apart from the scriptures and see a guy named Darius, and you can see when he reigned, and Daniel, he's just being faithful to write things down the way that they happen. He says this, in the first year of his reign, of Darius's reign, I, Daniel, this is verse two, he says, I understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. Jeremiah has his own book in the Old Testament. You can back up out of Daniel just a few books back and you'll come upon Jeremiah. In Daniel, he had access to Jeremiah's writings and he was reading Jeremiah and he was putting some things together. He says this in verse three, he says, then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications. Supplications is a big word that just literally means to supply. It's in the, it's in the word there. So he's, he's praying and he's asking, God, would you supply me with these things? He says, with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. He says in verse four, and I prayed to the Lord my God. If you wanna pray life-changing prayers, then you first are gonna need to know God's word. Point number one, you gotta know God's word. Daniel's prayer is directed from what he read in God's word. Daniel was reading and reflecting, and he knew that God's promise was due. Now, history records that a lot of the Old Testament was in the Babylonian library. And so Daniel, he would have grown up with access to the Babylonian library, and he chose to go and, and read God's word, that he had access to God's word, but in order for him to know God's word, he had to choose to read God's word. Now, this may be a, a really simple point, but I think it needs to be said. You can't just have access to God's word and expect to know God's word. You've got to read God's word, all right? I think some of us, we put this on our nightstand, and we think like spiritual osmosis is happening. Like, I slept close to my Bible last night. Woo, I'm feeling godly today, you know? Or, or we put it on our dashboard, and it kind of cu cups up like this, and we think that if we drive fast, then it's just going to kind of blow into our spirit or something like that. If we've got the Bible app on our phone, we're just somehow going to know the Bible. Listen, just because you have access to God's word doesn't mean you know God's word. Okay, here, here's, here's the real simple truth. You've got to read it, all right? got to read it. And Daniel, he was a student of God's word. I think sometimes we'll say, well, Daniel, he got paid to read God's word. No, Daniel, he worked for the government. He didn't get paid to go to the library and to read the scrolls of Jeremiah. He read God's word because he loved the God of the word. And we got to know God's word. If we're going to have prayer that changes lives, we've got to know what God's word has to say. And so Daniel, he, re he references that he was reading in Jeremiah. And they didn't have chapters back in the day. It was just a scroll but we have chapters now. He was reading somewhere around Jeremiah 25 to Jeremiah 29. 
And he was reading things like this in Jeremiah 29, 10. He'd come across and read this. For thus says the Lord, that after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. That Daniel, he was saying in verse 2, he, he said, I understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet. He's saying that, that Jeremiah said there would be 70 years in captivity and then we would return back home. And Daniel, when he's reading these numbers and he's looking at the time frame, he, he just, Daniel just took God's word for what it said. Daniel thought that when God said 70, he literally meant 70. That Daniel wasn't reading prophecy and thinking that it was allegory or metaphor or something confusing. He just said, this is what God's word says, and that's what I'm going to believe. And this is what we see happen historically. Now, Daniel, we, we, he didn't know that it was going to take place at, like this. He was kind of like, God, like I'm doing the math. It's about 538 B.C. when he's you know, writing this or praying this. And he's like, there's been about 67 or 68 years. And, and he's thinking, man, in just, a, just one or two more years, we're going home. You know, he's fired up. And, uh, and he, but he's like, but we need a permit. <laughs> How's this going to work? And, and he's thinking, I don't, I don't, I can't see. I mean, you said God, but I can't see how this is going to take place. And so he prays. Uh, some people say that when we read prophecy, it breeds lethargy or laziness. Uh, that, that some people would say, well, you don't need to be too concerned with the prophetic things in the Bible because it can kind of breathe, breathe this kind of, uh, who, well, who cares mentality. But you need to know this, that the Bible is chock full of prophecy. And the prophecy should create in us two things, a gratitude for the prophetic things that have taken place and an eager expectation in prayer for the new things that are to come. That a fourth of the Bible is prophetic. One resource said this, that one in four, more than one in four verses in the Bible are verses of prophecy. And God's word, it should drive us to our knees in gratitude for all of the prophecies that have come to pass this is an amazing, miraculous book preserved by God that God breathed upon the pens of men and women and they wrote things down that were to come to pass and many of those things have come to pass and that should build in us a faith about what is to come in the future and we should pray and thank God for the things that he's done and then we should get on our knees and say, God, would you come, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus and would you come and would you bring your kingdom to earth fully and finally and would you do your work? That the prophecies, it should urge us to, to be eager and expectant about what God's going to do. And so Daniel, he knew God's word, and it directed his prayer. See, the, the, if you're taking notes, the prayer that God accepts is the prayer that God directs. That when we read his word, when we know his word, when we begin to pray God's word, there's something powerful about that. My wife, she does this so wonderfully, that when she's going through something, when she's dealing with fear or anxiety or me, you know, like she just writes down Bible verses and she begins to pray God's word. And she begins to say, God, you said this and I'm going to pray this. And I'm going to believe by faith that you're going to come and act that when we, when we pray God's word, one person said it's like this. It's like taking nitrogen and glycerin and putting them together. You got TNT, baby. And when we pray God's word, there's something powerful in that. You want to pray life-changing prayers? You got to pray God's word. Daniel, he's modeling for us how to pray. He knew God's word. And it also informed the way he approached God. Again, we've already seen in verse 3, but he said this. He said, then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests 
by prayer and supplications, with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. See, when you know God and you know his word, it impacts how you approach him. Three ways that we see Daniel approach God, we see that he's approaching God in prayer and it's determined. It says that he set his face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer. I think some of us, we've settled for a prayer life that's just on the way to work. You know, I'll talk with people, tell me about your, tell me about your prayer life. Like, well, you know, I pray when I drive. And I'm like, that's, that's a great place to start. I'm not, I'm not bashing that. But Daniel, I think that he's saying there, there's more to it than that. If you just pray when you drive, I would just say that there's, there's a lot of distractions. You know, like I, I'm not really from Missouri, but I've learned that there's a lot of distractions, like people that drive from Kansas, you know. And uh, they're, all, they're out there. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. But anyway, just heard you guys say that. And so, but, but like there's distractions. And if, and if all you do is pray while you drive, um, I, I don't know that you're really getting to the heart of life-changing prayer. Life-changing prayer says, I've set my face toward the Lord in prayer and supplication. I'm determined. The other thing that we see is that he's focused. He said he fasted. I don't know if you fast or not, but it's a great practice that allows you to have sober thinking and you begin to get really clear in your, in your focus towards what you're fasting about. And what Daniel's doing is he's saying, I set my face towards God. I was determined and I was focused. And then we also see that he was desperate. We see here that he covered himself in sackcloth and ashes. Uh, we don't really do that in our culture, but in this culture, that was, that was a, a way of mourning. That was a way of saying, I, I'm going to wear this and cover myself in this symbolically because I, I need God to move. I'm desperate for him to move. And if you want to pray life-changing prayers, you've got to know God's word. and You've got to approach God determined, focused, and desperate. Why would we do that? Why would Daniel do that? Well, he, he did this because he knew that God delights in this approach. Daniel knew Proverbs 3.34 that said, God shows favor to the humble. That if we go to God kind of quickly or arrogantly and we don't go to him humbly, we're not approaching God rightly. Daniel would have known what Psalm 51, 17 says, that a broken and contrite heart the Lord will not despise. He would have known Psalm 34, 18 that says, God draws near to the brokenhearted. If you want to pray life-changing prayers, you've got to have this posture and this approach. And when your approach is in humility and standing on the promises of God's word, God's listening intently. Daniel, he prays life-changing prayers. And we get into his prayer, and he just prays, prays something like this in verse 4. He says, and I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, and I said this. I said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. If you want to pray life-changing prayers this morning, church, you need to know God's word. And point number two, you need to know God's character. You need to know God's character. Daniel's given us a master class on how to pray life-changing prayers. Do you know God's character? If I asked you to rattle off 10 things about God's character, would you be able to do that? And I think for a lot of us, we, we don't see the privilege that it is to pray. We'll read things in Hebrews like we can now boldly approach the throne, throne room of grace with confidence. And I think some of us were just kind of like, eh. but, but here's what you need to know. God's a really big deal, all right? And the fact that we have access to him is incredible, that we can speak directly to the, to the God of the universe. You don't have to go through some man. You don't have to pre, uh, pray through a priest. You don't have to pray through a lemon-shirted preacher. You don't have to pray through, you have direct access to God. There's one mediator, the man, God, Jesus Christ. And we can pray to God directly when we have a right relationship with Jesus. Boldly approach his throne room like a child, 
My kids, they have access to me that none of y'all have access to. Not even my wife. Like my daughter earlier, you know, she's just in my arms. I don't hold my wife like that, like up, you know. And she's just like touching my face and stuff. She's messing with me, you know. Don't, do, don't touch my face. None of y'all touch my face, all right? <laughs> I, if my wife touched my face, I'm like, quit it, you know. <laughs> but my children can do that. Why? Because they're my children. They can boldly approach me, and I will stop what I'm doing to give them attention. And we have that sort of access to God Almighty. One theologian, he says this, that he says that, that ignorance of God is the real weakness of the church. That a lot of us, I think the, the reason why we have such a prayerless life is because we don't know the privilege it is to talk to God. And Daniel, he's given us some characteristics of God. He says here in, in verse four, he says that God is great and awesome. And he gives us later some other characteristics that, that God is merciful and forgiving. If you're taking notes, I just want to draw your attention to those four characteristics. First of all, here's the first characteristic we'll talk about, that God is great. I love this. He prays, he says, oh Lord, great and awesome God. And if you want to pray life-changing prayers, you start seeing the one that you're talking to as great. Greatness, it refers to God's bigness, to his power, to his might. Great, literally defined in the, in the dictionary, is that it's considerably above the normal or average. If you grew up in church, you've heard that old statement, God is good all the time and all the time. Yeah, y'all know, we've got some church folks here. I said, that, that's a good statement, God is good. But God is great. <laughs> you know, sometimes good, just go, oh, you know, how's the restaurant? It's good, you know. Like, no, 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 no. God isn't just okay. He isn't just good. He's great all the time, right? And that's what Daniel's saying. He said, you've got to right-size who you're getting to talk to right now. That God is great, and he is above all. That he is, he is far more above the average or the normal, considerably more. And there's no one like him. And Daniel, he says, God is great. And he also says, God is awesome. He's awesome. Isn't that a great word? Awesome. Just love this word. That he just says, God, when he's talking about, oh, Lord, you are great and awesome, a phrase that's used 10 other times in the Bible. And it's usually used to describe just how amazing God is. The word awesome literally means extremely impressive or daunting, inspiring great admiration, apprehension, or fear. If you're reading the King's English this morning in the KJV, Daniel says, oh Lord, the great and terrible God. And what he's saying is that it's frightening when you get around something that is powerful and untamable and wild. And when you get around God, it's like, okay, God is God and I am not. And he's praying the character of God. And he's saying God is great and God is awesome. Why is this so important? Why is it so important that God is great and awesome? Because some of you have come in here this morning and you have some great and awesome problems. And if you have some sort of average, mediocre God that just kind of can, you know, he can kind of do some things from time to time, then he's no match for your problems. But I'm here to tell you that you may have some great and awesome problems, but your problems pale in comparison to the might and the majesty and the power of God Almighty. And so Daniel's facing some problems that are big problems. And he's reminding himself of the character of God. He's saying, you are great and awesome. That God is great and awesome. He has the power to overturn Supreme Court rulings. That he has the power to... <laughs> he has the power to move pins on permits 
He has the power to heal your family. God is not weak. God is not average. He's not some run-of-the-mill spiritual force. He is great and awesome. That's his character. Now, yeah, praise God. She would fire you up this morning. Woo! Now, what I love is that Daniel, he brings some more color to who God is. He says, not only is God great and awesome, but he's also merciful and forgiving. If we jump down to verse 9, we see this, that Daniel, he's in his prayer now, and he's saying this to God, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. Third characteristic I want you to see of God is that he's merciful. He's merciful. This word merciful, it can literally be translated compassionate. It can also in the Hebrew be, be translated womb. Now think about this for a second. Some of you have come in here and, and you see God as like he's, he's great and awesome and he's upset with you. That's how some of you see God. But what Daniel's saying is that not only is God great and awesome, but he's also merciful. I remember watching my wife you know, grow three kids inside of her is amazing and, and just watching the way that a mom, a, a good mom, how she tends to her womb. And there's like this little person growing inside of her and, and like, you know, when they get a little bit bigger and you like see their, I don't know if it's their elbow or their heel, like just roll through their belly. It's kind of weird, you know, but they feel the baby kick and, and my wife, she's just, you know, rubbing on her, on her belly and talking to her womb and, and she's intimately aware of, the, of, of what's going on inside of her and she's intimately aware and caring for that thing or that person in the womb. That she loves what's going on. And she cares for that baby. Even though that baby's laying on her sciatic nerve, she cares for that baby. Even though that baby kicked one of her ribs loose, she cares for that baby. And what, what Daniel's trying to say about God is that God cares for you. Aren't you grateful for God's mercy? I don't know if you know you, but I know me. And if I know me, I know I need some mercy. I know I need some, so I, I need some new starts. I don't, oh, where would I be if God held against me the things that I've done to him? If somebody treated me the way I treated God, I wouldn't have anything to do with them. But God's full of mercy. And not only is he full of mercy, but he's forgiving. The fourth characteristic I want you to see is that he's forgiving. He says, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. Forgiveness literally means that you have a, you, you stop feeling angry or resentful towards someone for an offense, flaw, or mistake. That God's character is mercy. His character is forgiving. If you were to look up job, job descriptions, God's job description on LinkedIn, it would say, really good forgiver. And thank God for his forgiveness. The reason why we're celebrating baptisms today, if you don't know much about baptism, what that is is that people are saying, hey, I have, I have trusted Christ for forgiveness. I admitted that I was a sinner. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin, rose from the grave. I confessed him as the Lord of my life. And baptism is the biblical picture to celebrate the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. They're saying, I've been buried with Christ in baptism. I'm dead to the old me, RIP, old me. And I'm raised to walk in a newness of life. And I'm going to live my life not according to my flesh, but according to the love and the forgiveness and the grace that has been been bestowed upon me by the Lord Jesus Christ. And many of you, maybe you come in here and you don't know what it looks like to have a relationship with God. But let me just tell you that God, he is, he is awesome. He is great. He's also merciful and forgiving if you would trust your life over to him. If you would admit that you're a sinner, believe that Jesus died for your sin, rose from the grave, confess him as Lord, you'll be saved. Because the word of God declares that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That he's great and awesome. There's nothing that God cannot do. And he's merciful and forgiving. 
There is nothing that God cannot forgive. And when our sin meets this amazing truth, we find God's sympathy. And if we want to pray life-changing prayers, we've got to know God's word. We've got to know God's character. Daniel, he goes on and he says this in verse 5. He says, we have, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We've done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. And neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes and to our fathers and to all the people of the land. If you want to pray life-changing prayers, you've got to know God's word. You've got to know his character. And point number three, you've got to confess your sins. You've got to confess your sins. Once Daniel confesses God's greatness, he then confesses his sinfulness. You see the words he's using there, right? In verse five, he's just saying things like, we've sinned, we've committed iniquity. That's just another way of saying sin. Uh, he says, we've, we've acted wickedly. Like he's going through the Rolodex of ways that we've done it wrong, you know? He's like, we, we've rebelled, we departed from your precepts. Uh, we didn't listen to, the, to the, the prophets. We didn't listen to the, the preachers. We didn't, we didn't heed their word. We're without excuse. The preachers, they, the prophets, they spoke to the kings, the princes, to our daddies, and really all of us. And we just showed a disdain for the word of God. We are guilty is what he's saying. We were unfaithful. We transgressed. And really the lion's share of Daniel's prayer in chapter 9 is confessing his sin and the sins of the people. What he's saying in a nutshell in many of these verses is this. It's our fault. We are to blame. We have sinned. And if you want to pray life-changing prayers, this is what you pray. You say, God, would you change the world and start with me? Like the great theologian Michael Jackson said, I'm starting with the man in the mirror. If you want to experience life change, if you want to experience revival, you've got to confess your sins. There was a famous theologian, or revivalist rather, named Gypsy Smith, and Gypsy He'd given his life to preach the word of God. He'd overcome some amazing things. The, the, you get a nickname Gypsy because uh, you grew up rough, all right? And he gave his life to, to Christ and he started preaching and telling people how they can have a right relationship with God, God, God and God used him greatly. Gypsy was an old man when, when some young men came and they asked him, Gypsy, what is the secret to revival? That was their way of saying, what is the secret to life change? What do we need to do to experience God the way that you've experienced him? And Gypsy said, y'all want to know the secret to revival? They said, yes, sir. What's the secret to revival? And he said, here's the secret to revival. You need to go home. You need to lock the door. He said, you need to get on your knees and get a piece of chalk. And he said, you need to draw a circle around yourself. And he said that you need to pray that God would send revival to everything that's in the circle. that if we're gonna pray life-changing prayers, it starts with us. Notice that Daniel's not confessing the sins of the Babylonians or the Medo-Persians. He's saying, we have sinned, your people have sinned. We are the ones that hadn't listened to the word of God. We are the ones that are marked with iniquity. That if we're gonna experience life change, we have to confess our sins, starting with the sins in the circle. And it's in this place that we confess our sins and we say things like, God, I know that your word says that I'm supposed to treat my wife a certain way. I know that your word says that I'm supposed to lead my family a certain way. God, I know that your word says I'm supposed to lead my sex life or my money life or whatever part of my life a certain way. But God, I'm here to confess I'm not the man 
that your word says I'm supposed to be and I confess my sin. And I need your help. It's in the circle that we confess our sins. It's in the circle that we also praise God for our wins. And we say, God, praise you, praise you this week that we hear the news of what's happening in our Supreme Court. Praise God for overturning Roe v. Wade. But it's also in the circle that we say, God, would you help us not to be self-righteous? Would you help us to not be pious? Would you help us to not be mean-spirited in our responses on social media? And God, would you help us to respond in this moment the way you would? And God, help us to not praise you for overturning certain things and then not ask you to give us the courage and the energy to go live a life on mission and to lovingly respond to the needs of society. That if we want to see revival take place, it starts with us knowing God's word. If we want to see life change take place, pray life-changing prayers, we've got to know God's character but it should drive us to our knees in confessing our sin and praying, God, would you change the world and start by changing everything in the circle? Daniel, he really concludes this section of his prayer with a pleading. He says this in verse 19. He says, oh Lord, hear. You can hear kind of the angst in Daniel's voice. I don't know if you're looking at your punctuations, Sometimes we just kind of read the Bible, just kind of like Ben Stein is just reading it. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, listen and act. But you got to look at our punctuations. you got to look at what's going on. Daniel, he's, he's reading God's word. He's saying, God, you're about to do something that is a once-in-a-lifetime thing. You're sending your people back home. He's praying, oh, God, great and awesome God. And he said, I'm confessing our sins. And he's going through the Rolodex of ways that they've gotten it wrong. And then he concludes with this, this heart cry, if you will. Maybe he's sobbing at this point, covered in sackcloth and ashes. And he's just saying, oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. If you want to pray life-changing prayers, you need to know God's word. You've got to know his character. You've got to confess your sins. And point number four, you've got to plead with God. You've got to plead with God. Daniel, he's pleading Again, he's saying, hear, forgive, listen, and act. He's pleading with God. He's saying, God, do this for your own namesake. I'm praying for your glory. I'm praying that you would do what you said you would do. He's wringing out his heart before God. See, prayer is the language of the dependent. And our prayerlessness is our declaration of independence. And God is not trying to raise us to be independent. In fact, a mark of spiritual maturity is that you're growing in your dependency upon God. And prayer is one of those data points that we can say, am I praying? And if you're praying but thinking you're growing in spiritual, excuse me, if you're not praying but thinking you're growing in spiritual maturity, you fooled yourself. That prayer is the language of the dependent. And dependency is the goal in our relationship with God. Are you dependent upon God? Do you plead with God? I think many of you have come in here this morning and there's some things that are, that are heavy in your life. And I would urge you that you can look at God's word and say that there's an open invitation to plead with God. Jesus said in Luke 11, he, he, he said, hey, bother me in prayer. You know, some of y'all got kids that bother you all the time. You're like, hey, go, don't bother me anymore. 
God never said that about us. He said, you come to me. In Luke 11, he said, it's like a man who, who had some visitors late at night and, 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 and he didn't have no bread. So he went to his neighbor's house and he's like, I need some bread. And the neighbor's like, shh, my wife's asleep, kids asleep. He's like, I need some bread. And the guy finally gave him some bread because he bothered him enough. And Jesus is saying, that's how you should pray. Bother me, plead with me. And some of you, you're carrying a burden, but you're not bothering God with it. <laughs> I'm just saying, why? If you're here and you have a wayward child, I would say plead before God, that God would do something. Anytime I meet a, a mama or a daddy and they're, they're telling me about their, their, their young adult kid that's, that's wayward, I'll say, let's pray right now that God would do something miraculously, that he would, he would send somebody, he would, he would intervene in this situation, he would bring them back. And maybe you're here and you have, a, you have a, a spouse that you didn't see your marriage going this way because you thought that they were this person and then something happened and they went off this way and you're thinking, oh God, would you please bring my husband back? Would you please bring my wife back? God, would you intervene? Would you move? Plead with God. Listen, God, act for your glory. Some of you, it's a diagnosis. Others of you, it's a direction in life. God, I don't know what college to go to. I don't know what job to take. Plead with him. Plead with him. God wants your prayers. And if you want to pray life-changing prayers, note this, that when we pray this way, God begins to change our life. I don't know if you're anything like me, but oftentimes you'll hear a message like this and, and, uh, and you'll make really good, like really good promises. Like I promise, I'm gonna pray all day tomorrow. I'm gonna pray all day, you know. And like I need to pray, you'll feel convicted and and oftentimes you just need some support and uh, you don't know exactly what that looks like or maybe you don't have a support system. Well, we, we want to we offer an invitation to everybody just to pray with us this week. Um, something I'm just calling a five-day life-changing prayer challenge. And you can join us 8 a.m. tomorrow morning on Facebook or Instagram. And we're just going to pray together. And we're going to pray through some of these things over the next several days and hopefully begin to form some new patterns of prayer. See, God changes people's lives. But you can't know God unless you pray. I want to invite everybody just to bow their heads, bow your heads, excuse me, and close your eyes. I want you to draw a, a metaphorical circle around yourself. And I want everyone just to pray something like this. Lord, great and awesome God, forgiving and merciful. Would you change this world? And would you start with everything in the circle? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for today. God, I thank you for my friends coming, making the sacrifice to get here. God, I pray that you would ignite passion in their lives for prayer. God, forgive us of our prayerlessness. Forgive us for wasting time scrolling for wasting time doing whatever else we do and not seizing the opportunity to pray. God, I pray, I pray that, that prayer would be our ambition, that prayer would be our strategy, and that you would forgive us, forgive me for putting that to the side from time to time. And God, I pray if there's somebody here that doesn't know you, I pray that they would come to know you, that you would have revealed yourself clearly to them, that they're loved that there's mercy and forgiveness to be found from you. 
God, I pray for the problems and the burdens that are here, those that are pleading in their heart right now, saying, God, would you move? Would you show up? Would you provide? Would you help? Would you heal? God, I pray that you would hear their cries. You are the great and awesome God. There's nothing that you can't do. So God, I pray that you would show up in tangible ways and we would see you move mightily. And it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.